Thanks for tuning in to Story Living, where we learn from inspiring leaders and their stories. I'm Jack, founder of Light Adventures, a certified coaching firm on a mission to illuminate people through story development. For this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Hongmei Huang, a VP of DevSci Informatics at Genentech, with the unique ability to balance business and science needs, vast experience in the biotech industry, including a PhD in biochem. So lots of insights to look forward to. And in particular, we're gonna talk about how to manage fears by taking calculated risks. So without further ado, let's flip to the first digital page of this story and dive in. Hi, Hong Mei, thanks so much for joining. How are you doing today? Hello, Jack, how are you? I'm doing really well and excited to have a conversation with you, uh, explore your vast career. Uh, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we'd love to go back to some of your earlier days where you grew up in China, surrounded by some academics, uh, scientists, mathematicians. Um, so maybe walk us through what it was like growing up for you in your early days. Yeah, my, my parents are both mathematicians. Um, and so um, growing, and my aunt was a chemist. So growing up, um, um, I was very much influenced by um, the, the this scientific training and the, um, and the environment. Uh, and remember my parents got me this uh, um, uh, sack of books and there are a lot of very fascinating stories in there about like why fish never sleep and why the star and the stars and moon always walk wherever we are and and so it, it just kind of uh, really uh, was very intriguing for me um, and really picked my um, uh, my curiosity um, and the imagination um, and so growing up um, with that kind of influence and the kind of uh, um, uh, uh, influence, um, I um, when, when it's come time to um, go to college, naturally I wanted to become a scientist. And I was deciding between um, chemistry and math because um, I love math. But uh, at, at that time, um, this was now this was before the time of data science, right? So. Um, so my um, so my parents actually really encouraged me to go into life science because um, they feel like if you go into math at that time, this only career choice seems to be to become a professor, uh, while uh, in life science you seem to have a lot more choices. So it was also very interesting. My mom always said that you see you ended up being back in the data science, which is most uh, math oriented. Love it. That's great to hear. And especially around that early curiosity of the question, why so important. And so as you eventually progressed in education, continuing to learn, ended up at Beijing University, one of the top in the country where you excelled. So I'm curious, what were some of the keys to your academic success? Um, it was a very, very um, rich uh, environment for learning. Um, and there was also this uh, um, a freedom of exchange of thoughts and among the professors to the students and um, the professor did a remarkable job of encouraging not only just to learn from the book but also think about what's possible and and also among the peer students and so a lot of uh, my um, classmates are now also very successful in their career and I think we all kind of look back and think that that that, um, that training was quite uh, important yeah I'm sure all that training really helped as well as you then kept going on with your education. Uh, masters at University of Michigan, 
and then your PhD at Scripps Institute. Um, and so from our listeners point of view who aren't as familiar maybe with that PhD process, maybe walk us through a little bit of what that was like, what's involved, some of the challenges, but also some of the excitement around going for your PhD. So, so I think, you know, as an as a, uh, immigrant, right, um, there are actually two main um, set of uh, challenges. And I always say that, you know, my life and my career are like this, uh, an east meets uh, west. Um, and so for, for, for me, first of all, there's a language barrier and the culture trying to learn what academic uh, or, uh, orientation is like in the United States and learning to live a life um, which is I could never have imagined. And then at the same time also um, from the academic perspective, I think PhD training um, on the surface is that you get this um, uh, independent projects that you uh, learn um, and you pursue and you're trying to get to the, um, the you come up with a hypothesis and trying to prove or disprove it and that's where your thesis be too. But the very, very important part of the uh, patient training is this um, thinking process. Hmm. How you look at the problem, how you dissect the problem, how you become resourceful and to um, uh, devise the, uh, um, the, the, um, how you uh, solve the problem. And so I think that benefit me probably the very most. It almost depends on what subject or topic that you had chosen. It's that sort of a train that rigor actually really influenced me for the rest of my career. Wow, I'm sure, yeah, especially that different modes of thinking and a lot of new psychology coming out these days of system one, system two, fast and slow thinking. So it sounds like a part of the process of just learning how to think and think for yourself as you then took that for your career. Um, so I'm curious for anyone who's maybe considering secondary education, whether that's masters, PhD, what might you recommend to them now, uh, especially knowing that you're hiring for high performing teams? So what else do you recommend for listeners who are thinking about that? Um, I, I, I think I'm always of the opinion that any experience is good experience. And so choose something that you are very um, interested and curious and passionate about. And, and, if you, and use that as a training ground. Um, whether it's a master's degree or PhD or which program you go to, um, it's, it's actually not the most important part. Um, mm -hmm. It's the training. I always say that, you know, goal is important, but the process of how you get to that goal is probably far more important than mm -hmm. what you ended up in your hands. Um, and, and I think that just pay more attention to the training uh, when you want to pursue a secondary degree. You know, take the time to understand the program. Like when I went from Michigan to Scripps, um, I really tried to understand because Scripps at the time was actually I was one of their first uh, graduate students and they were trying to establish a biomedical research and in some way it was a bit of a risk of taking. It's an, um, they are going into a new direction and it's a new, relatively new program, but there's something very exciting about it. Um, and also you listen to what the professors and the uh, administrators are thinking about the program and then you think about what you would get out of that program and also the environment that you would be in. Um, and I think that all are very important. 
wonderful. The training ground, the rigor, um, and you know some of the challenges that come with that different type of schooling. Great to hear. And so as you continued on, uh, you eventually, I think, met your husband who was from the South and moved on to California, continuing your journey, right? I love how you say it's all about the process on the way to the goal. Um, so then eventually ended up in informatics space. So before we get into a little bit of the informatics and some of your abilities with you know, managing business and science, um, what was that experience like? Because it seems like you just continued on your way west uh, and brought some other people along your journey. Um, so I think um, um, moving into informatics was actually not necessarily like something prime because people always ask me like, how did you have the foresight to get into data science and the informatics? It was really more driven from the business needs. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, this is probably also one of the things I always learned that if you try really hard and work hard to think about what's the, be what's the best for the organization, and then you personally would also benefit a lot from that as well. And so I was in the pharmaceutical uh, biotech industry at the time, and um, we need to, um, I had this data that was just what I call it dancing on the spreadsheets. And I was not a technologist at all. So I wrote a proposal two paragraphs and said, we got to have better data management and that we need to have the rigor on how we uh, treat our data sooner rather than after the fact. Um, and and so, so, but it was at the time that there was not a whole lot of uh, this type of experts in, in research anyway. Um, and so um, start looking into it, taking some classes and experimenting. And one thing led to another. Uh, I ended up um, being in the, uh, in the, in the informatics um, about, uh, and it's really about data management, informatics systems, and now of course uh, with AI and so I know that, yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah, definitely exciting. And I've always enjoyed the opportunity of working with you on some of these. Um, when you think about data science and informatics, what is at the heart of that why, right? Because we see billboards all over the Bay Area around data management, data collection, analysis. What is that why for you in regards to informatics? So I think, you know, there's like a more in a general term is like you, when you look at um, this vast amount of data and the diversity of it and you got to kind of ask yourself, what more can we do with this data? We are, we are sitting on this, this gold mine. And so it's really about the use and the reuse of data. Now, from the uh, business per, uh, perspective, um, our goal is to make the right drug for the right patient at the right dose, right? Mm. So in order to do that, we need to have this really high resolution understanding of the patients and the diseases and the drugs. Um, and that means that we, it requires a huge amount of data and also the diversity of it. And I, I think that we are at an at a, um, inflection point where um, um, the data and the technology playing such a critical role. And it's, this, it's almost like this vast front, frontier that, um, um, that I have these grand opportunities for us to dream big. I love the dreaming big. And in particular with um, this unique view that you have, because not all of our guests are coming from the biotech space. Uh, my mom's actually a nurse. She's been in it a while. And she's always talking about how the medical industry is always a little bit uh, behind as far as catching up to some of the latest innovations. So 
Um, maybe share a little bit of light around how you see the different industries of bleeding edge tech in the Bay Area where things are full speed ahead, while also balancing you know, the medical field itself with um, maybe you might call it much more methodical. Uh, so how do you see those two together? So, um, so yeah, so this is kind of like the field that I'm in right now. It's almost like a, a marriage of the science and the technology. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, and this is where my science background comes in, is understanding the business problem, the challenges that we have from the scientific perspective, and then translate it into what potential technology that we would need. And being in the Bay Area, we have this advantage of in the presence of this uh, um, technology giants. And, um, and so we, for example, like for image analysis, right? And we do a lot of image analysis in our world, but there's images image. And so there's also images analysis technologies out there developed for face recognition for um, um, a different type of a comparison and so and so so we could think about it how can we take advantage of those technologies and apply to our world um, and also how um, the um, technical folks out there uh, handled how do they handle the large data like you know I, I had to use the word uh, big data because everyone is using it and what does that mean but for us is a is the complexity is really in the diversity of different data types um, and so, um, so, so there's a huge amount of connectivity and the connections that we can make between the scientific problems that we are trying to solve and the te technical um, ability, especially now with the involvement of AI out there that we could bring them together to solve the problem for us. Fascinating. And so I'm curious for a listener standpoint that maybe they have some family or friends going through, you know, some medical things. Um, now, with what you just shared on the back end with the technological advances and big data, what could uh, patients potentially start to see or experience as far as the benefits from these things like AI? Um, what might you see as changes happening from the patient's point of view? Because I know you have a heart for people um, and the patients and the medical care they receive on the other end of it. Yeah, um, I, I think... Um... One is that, in, like what I was saying, that you know the uh, right drug for the right patient at right dose. I think for decades and years and years, we're very good about making drugs for general population. And more and more, what we are desiring is um, we are all somewhat different. There's a subtle difference even within the same type of patients. And like you and I are different. How we reacted and responded to the drug could be different. And so, so. So if we have more of the information and data to guide us when we are doing the drug discovery and the development, meaning like how you take the, you, you understanding the disease and then you identify the drug candidate and you're taking them through the clinical trials to make sure that uh, the drug is safe and it's effective. Um, and that would really help us to cut down on the cost. Mm. If we have more information, we can do things more effectively and efficiently, and then the cost to the patient would be lower. So that's one aspect of it. And, and the drug would work better, right? Because if the drug is more specific to you or to me, that would obviously work better. Um, and then there's also, um, um, and then another very important part is also um, um, that we don't, that we use of the information is that in the 
in the traditional time, you would do the, uh, in the conventional way, you develop a drug sort of like this, a forward thinking, right? You do this and then you do that and then you move into clinical trial and then you market it. But now it's also that how can we do a reverse translation, which meaning that we take information that we learn in the clinical trial to guide our drug discovery. We take data from in the real market, even when the drug is already in the market, we still have the information that we learn about whether this, how effective the drug is, whether there's any safety challenges there. And then we can also use those information to guide us. Um, um, and again, this would also make better drugs and uh, um, reduce the cost. Um, now, with the technology being available, so much information available out there. It's actually very overwhelming. And I think, you know, um, um, at least I can speak for myself. So, when, you know, when, when I had to deal with some of the um, health challenges, um, I suddenly realized as a patient, you are overwhelmed and inundated with the information. And it's very, very difficult to tell the different options and how it will work better for me or not. And so I think if we can think of a way to organize the data and the information better. That, so there's also this patient education so that the patient can identify the best treatments for themselves. Okay. Very inspiring. Well, thanks for sharing and painting that picture of how your work in the backend informatics data is ultimately gonna make more uh, personalized care, saving costs, better quality drug development. So it's, it's really nice to hear because not always, um, learning about that as far as you know what's portrayed sometimes in the media so i appreciate what you're sharing there around this so um, in addition to all this work on the specific informatics and what you have learned from your experience you've also had you know some great mentors uh, who've guided you with some great advice around pursuing your passion pushing forward um, so what else uh, is some great advice that you've received over the years uh, i would say okay first of all the very best advice i've ever gotten was from my father when I was young, and and uh, and he's and there's this Chinese saying called um, called and that means that when you are walking or heading toward a mountain, and it seems like there's absolutely no way around it, and you want to get to the other side, but if you keep going, when you get there, you will find a way. And so my father always tells told me that you will find a way. And, and on the surface of it, it seems a bit passive, like, oh, you know, let's not worry about it. When we get there, we'll get there. But if you really think about it, there's so much wisdom in it. And whenever I run into challenges in my life or in my career, I always thought back to that. That mm. am I looking at a mountain and just assuming that there's no way around it? Or should I think that it's almost like changing your mindset that that this trust is confidence in yourself that you could find a way around that mountain. Mm, interesting perspective and yeah. love, you know, I could see the benefits, especially when you're taking on new projects or maybe some of our listeners battling some, you know, corporate bureaucracy that just seems insurmountable um, to have that perspective seems uh, really helpful. And so I'm curious in that same light, uh, I know you've shared how you've, been able to conquer some fears, even some things like imposter syndrome. So maybe share how you've worked through that over your career and then maybe an example or two of really where it worked out well for yourself. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm the first one to admit that um, there was always a little bit of an imposter syndrome, especially when I was younger, um, especially um, 
when you are the, one of the very few women um, in in the science and the leadership role, and you walk in the room and you are the only woman, and and so you kind of feel like should I behave just like everyone else, or should I just be myself? And I always came back to that. First of all, I wanted to just be myself because um, I don't think it's sustainable when you're trying to act and behave like other people. Um, so it's recognizing your own um, weakness and your strengths and how to leverage actually uh, both, right? Um, and so so I think, uh, um, I, I remember that um, mm, well, one time, so I, I had, so my, when my husband and I met in graduate school and then he, when it was a professor um, um, in, in Colorado and I was, uh, I took my first job, you know, when you were right out of school and there's not a whole lot of jobs out there, you took what you could and in the East Coast. So we were apart for a number of years and when it came time that we wanted to get married and I wanted to um, move to uh, Colorado. So I moved from a very established uh, large corporation where I seem to have a really good career going. I was a, um, um, having a great support from the colleagues and management to a startup company. And now we're talking about, oh gosh, this was like 20 years ago. So startup was not like what it is now a norm. It was very rare. And so some people actually told me that that would be a career suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so this is where I thought back to what my father was talking about. And also at that time I had a great mentor who, um, who, would, who was my, um, the leader in our department, um, in, in the job that I had in the East Coast. And, um, and he would love to keep me there, but he also understood why I wanted to move. And so when we were leaving, um, he gave me this um, um, one, word, uh, one wisdom that I carry to this day is that good people always land on their feet. Mm. And so, so you're going into this unknown um, and it's a seemingly a huge risk. It could go every which way. But again, it's like come back down and take a deep breath and say, you know, um, can I at least give it a try? If I don't try, I will never find out. And, um, and, and also, I think it's also managing the curiosity versus the risk. I'm someone who is always very curious, you know, curious about what's the unknownness. How can we do things better? And so, so, so sometimes I, I always joke that, you know, almost like my curiosity take the better of me of this fear for the risk or the fear of being this um, uh, lonely person in an environment that you, are, you may not even be comfortable or, um, or familiar with. Um, is that I think that curiosity always somehow win up a little bit and that sort of, um, encourage me to pursue it. And then I think it's also this words of wisdom. It, it sounds cliche, but um, whenever I thought about what my dad said about, you know, heading to the mountain, and when I thought about this uh, from my mentor about um, good people always land on your feet, it, it, it helped me to kind of boost my confidence a little bit. Mm, wonderful wisdom. And I can sense that confidence, but there's also a, a sense of humility about it. And I appreciate what you're sharing around how you've, you know, battled imposter syndrome, which I know plenty of our listeners probably deal with. I've managed that myself. And so um, as we think of uh, in the same vein, leadership development, you shared an interesting notion that you actually don't read too many books about 
leadership <laughs> development. So I'm curious around your perspective of how you've continued to develop as a leader to you know, achieve the role and the accomplishments you have today. So first of all, I love books, right? I read books, um, but I'm very picky about books. Mm. I like uh, reading books. Uh, the, the, I'm very picky about the writing. It to be mm. very lyrical. Like to me, reading is enjoyment. It's a therapy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I also love reading books about human stories. And mm. I think that's actually where I learned a lot. Interestingly, wow. it's like how people um, can be different from each other and how people can react to different situations differently. Um, and really come to appreciate the diversity of our personality and the background um, and, and how it can be very powerful when you have all these different perspectives. So, so maybe, you know, I may not read a certain general book, but, you know, it's, um, it, I think reading is actually very important. Now, when it comes to leadership development, I think at the end of the day, um, the most important part, I would say, is um, developing the self-awareness. And mm, yes. I think that's what I earlier was talking about, um, how I, even though as uncomfortable as I was and as tempting as it was to behave like the others, I always wanted to be myself. But then you have to answer the question of who you are. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think um, over the years, I would say that was probably the biggest uh, career development. And this also including getting feedback from others your mentor, your colleagues. Um, and, and that interestingly, um, it actually helped me to uh, counter the self-criticism um, and building the confidence. The more risk you take, the more you um, put yourself out there. Um, and the more you actually just say, yep, I have imposter syndrome, uh, you know, just embrace it to sort of then from there, you kind of learn what works for you and what you what does not work for you. Um, and, and you know, like when you take a leadership role, it's not always the, the biggest, the most shiny role, but it should be something that you feel like you can be passionate about. Um, you can make any little smaller job into a much bigger job if you do it right. Excellent points, especially around the self-awareness. So crucial as you take on those higher roles and especially when you're managing teams. And I love how you still always bring that sense of curiosity around, um, I don't know if you would call it this way, but in almost the human condition and how we handle our fears or self-criticism. So in that light around managing some fears or challenges, especially in these current times right now, how have you been supporting your team? How have you maybe encouraged them to take those risks that you've been able to do throughout your career? Um, so right now, you know, maybe some words of inspiration for how to help manage and lead people during challenging times. Um, I, I, we are definitely in a very unusual, extraordinary time. Um, I think in our life, there are always a couple, some years where it just seems to transform who we are and what we think of the world, right? Um, and, and I think last year and this year for sure will become one of those times. Um, and every one of us is dealing with um, different challenges in our own way. And I think recognizing this is very, very important. Um, mm -hmm. the, um, the, the empathy for each other um, and 
And it's okay to say that sometimes I just don't feel good about things. Sometimes I may not be 100%. Or sometimes maybe if I work 150% and make me feel better about myself today. And, and so it's to recognize it, um, that different way and different approach of um, handling the situation. I think it's actually very important. Um, and also working with um, uh, colleagues to to call each other up when we try to be a hero or trying to be an um, overachiever and um, to really um, manage our workload. Um, at the end of the day, I think we have to, um, I always said that, you know, we have to be taking good care of ourselves. If we get burned out, um, we are not good for the organization either. And, um, and I think, you know, so disputing the support environment, but also in the same time, um, because we are working in this really exciting space, right? It's also like articulating what the vision is. Uh, we actually being remarkably um, productive and, and we're trying to figure out the very creative way to interact with each other and we will continue to do so. Um, and, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, if we get stuff done in a focused, in the methodical way, then we actually also feel good. Then you don't feel like you are wasting your time or, um, and, and so it's like, how do you, on one hand, manage the negativity from the current circumstance and to sort of boost the positive side of things. And mm -hmm. I think this is kind of how you kind of can turn the dynamic a little bit. Um, I, I, I just think that it's remarkable. I think if like two years ago, if someone said, oh, we are going to be lockdown for uh, the um, extended period of time, I, I would I would say, oh, there's no way, right? I mean, it's just unfathomable. Um, or then if someone said, oh, under the, uh, when we're all working remotely um, and lockdown and sharing in place, we can still be productive. I would be very doubtful too. But here we are, we, we, will, we actually have quite a lot of accomplishment, um, not easy, um, but, somehow we manage and I think you know human being I think at the end of the day we are just so resilient and, and I think we should give ourselves um we, we should not underestimate our ability mm, yes that power to adapt um yeah. while also making sure we're uh, supporting people with that empathetic environment that you speak about so mm -hmm. people feel they actually can take some risks and maybe yeah. they might fail a little bit along the way but they're also going to build up that confidence and continue to grow and i love how you bring that to your team um, so as we're wrapping up here a few final questions uh, one is um, going back to i love again how you mentioned as a child that book of what is your big why right now what are you bringing that sense of curiosity that hung may always has whether it's at work or maybe even in the garden uh, what is your big why these days um, I, I you know i'm such a data nerd right and 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 I look at this vast amount of information and data we have. Um, what I, the why I have is that how, um, you know, how can we take the information we have, the structure, the data, the unstructured information, how can we bring them together hmm. so that we can generate insight, so that we can make better drugs uh, at a lower cost for our patients. 
I, I am very fortunate to work in this environment, um, the organization I'm in, and everybody is just genuine, genuinely um, passionate about helping the patient and the healthcare. Mm. That's great to hear. And again, it goes back to that empathy you have, uh, whether it's colleagues or patients. Um, so now in the same lane of helping others, uh, we're all about here at Light Adventures, serving and giving back to the community. So maybe share one of um, your favorite nonprofits and, and give them a little shout out. Um, one thing that I would always like to, I mean, there are quite a number of the um, uh, um, uh, efforts that I'm uh, supporting and usually uh, either have to do with uh, patient care or the, um, the supporting the underprivileged um, students. Um, and so in particular, I want to give a shout out to uh, UCSF um, Comprehensive Cancer Center. Um, mm. And they just have been doing cutting edge uh, program. And I, um, I know a lot of folks um, um, who have benefited from the care from the uh, the cancer center, um, and um, I'd like to um, give them uh, uh, support. Uh. Definitely, we'll shout out to UCSF and what a heartwarming mission they have, and you know appreciate uh, you bringing them up for listeners as well. Encourage everyone to check them out. So as we wrap up now, uh, final question or. Um, encouragement around some closing words of wisdom or inspiration, knowing that we're constantly flipping the page of our stories and going through these challenging times. You talk about taking mm -hmm. risks, bringing passion. What else might you uh, encourage our listeners with? I would say um, just be, be yourself and, um, and be okay with ambiguity and uncertainty. Um, and as and any experience is good experience, including sometimes failure, you can also learn from it also. Um, and somehow things just kind of come together. It's like putting a puzzle together and all the pieces fit with each other and build this beautiful picture. Um, and, and, and I would look back at my career. I never really had like this long-term career goal, like by what year I wanted to be, whatever. It's always be very open-minded and opportunistic. And even if I have a job that I feel a little bit stuck, I still try my very best to do the best of it. And also is that let that curiosity guide me because even in a very most mundane job or work, you can still look at it and say, hmm, how, can how does this relate to something else that I have done before or things that potentially can be new that had not been uh, uh, chart it um, and how can we make it better and so and this is where the new opportunity actually becomes available and and also so when you're doing this is that then you put yourself in a bigger picture then you are not really just doing something for yourself then you feel good right because you are serving a greater purpose and the interesting thing is that when you do that the opportunity come knocking on the door Mm. because then people notice what you are able to do and then they would want to come and they and they know that you're someone who like to collaborate They know that you are someone who uh, are able to adapt and grow um and and then that's when the opportunities become available 
Very inspiring. Always be uh, open to that door, especially if it's a little bit of ambiguity and love what you're sharing around being opportunistic, especially during these times. Um, so I appreciate all of your wisdom and hearing your story, Hong Mei. Thank you so much for joining and taking time to be with us. Thank you, Jack. That, this, was, this was very, very enjoyable um, and look forward to having more dialogues with you. Alrighty, all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Massive appreciation to Hong Mei for joining, sharing her story, fascinating insights around data management tied to patient care and drug development, the latest innovations there, which are, of course, more important than ever these days. Um, and also more important than ever these days is bringing also that empathy we talked about, that environment of support, collaborating with each other to be productive, while also making sure we're meeting people where they are. And so bringing that sense of you know heartwarming compassion is what we're all about. And just wanna thank all of you for tuning in again and much love.